Welcome to this pilot episode of the Airline Business Podcast, looking behind some of the biggest stories facing the global airline industry. If you're listening to this, you are one of the lucky few, unless there's been some horrendous leak that's gone viral, as I call this a pilot episode because this is our first attempt at a podcast. I thought I should make that clear in case you thought we were trying to lace this podcast with a series of tired puns about air travel. Anyway, my name is Graham Dunn. I will be your pilot. Joining me on the flight deck is my co-pilot, Lewis Harper. So settle down, buckle up and prepare to take off. So this is our first attempt at a podcast and um, joining me in the room uh, is Lewis and um, Really, the idea behind this is for the uh, Flight Global journalists to talk through some of the biggest stories impacting the airlines across the globe, especially turn of the year. Um, a lot of people start thinking about those things. Um, Lewis, any airlines in Europe are you, th- you particularly keeping an eye out this year? I think one that jumps out straight away is obviously um, of the, the big groups in Europe, um, Air France, KLM. With um, um, Obviously, the big news last year um, was Ben Smith taking over which was a surprise to a lot of people in the industry his name is not very french no no although obviously coming from um air canada um he is a french speaker and he um was pretty highly thought of i think he he actually um picked up an award for air canada um one of airline businesses uh recent annual awards so um so yeah he is known to us but as you say he's not he wasn't i don't think he was on anyone's sort of shortlist um before before it was announced. And the French unions, uh, particularly the, the French ones, um, France, KLM, it's the French unions have, have been the issue over the years. They, uh, they greeted the appointment with um, a degree of... It's, it's fair to say, yeah, that they, um, they, they, they saw an issue of him not being French, I think. Um, they felt that he wouldn't necessarily have Air France's um, best interests at heart. And um, I think they took that to possibly... A slightly uh, ludicrous conclusion that he would almost be working against Air France, uh, having been given the, the the task of obviously trying to to pull them into shape. So, um, so yeah, it wasn't wasn't the um, the friendliest welcome. And their challenge is Air France has obviously underperformed KLM. KLM mm. has it's been you know a much more successful carrier over um, over recent years, and, mm. and Air France KLM still makes money, doesn't it? I mean, it's a good time for airlines. This is a yeah, it's quite a common theme, I think, across across some of the European carriers where we we can I think fall into the trap of talking about them as if they're in crisis when when actually they they keep producing some pretty solid results. But as you say, it's undeniable that that what really makes Air France stand out, I think, as you say, is that KLM. Um, viewed as a much more junior partner in terms of size and and um, its scope, but it, it consistently delivers better results than Air France. And I think um, one of the things I'm sure Ben Smith will be keen to do is try and rebalance that. Um, of course, you know there there was talk one one um, as close as talk got to an outsider taking over at Air France. KLM was possibly Peter Elbers, who is CEO of KLM. Um, uh, stepping up to that role, but obviously they went for someone who was even further outside the uh, the Air France bubble. So. And it, he's already he, Ben Smith's already acted quite quickly. I mean, obviously mm. he's got some initial agreements with the uh, with the unions, and mm. uh, his predecessor Jean-Marc Janelac's kind of almost showpiece um, uh, innovation, which is the creation of June, and that mm. already appears to be on its way out. 
Yeah, I don't think anyone's massively surprised by um, June's likely demise. I think uh, you don't need to read between the lines really to see that um, Air France's press release, um, which came out a week ago, I think, um, was saying that it's um, the writing's definitely on the wall for June. I think I remember you editing something out of my copy actually when I described June. I think as the the fever dream of a <laughs> of a rookie marketing executive, and I I, I think um, it always struggled in terms of how. Um, uh, what what its mission was and what what it what it was who it was aimed at. I mean, um, fair enough. Yeah, trying to aim a product at, at the younger generation of millennials is has some uh, logic, but um, yeah, it, it 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 yeah, it never really um, it was never really clear how that 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 was scalable. Or, and and Air France KLM has a has many brands. Obviously, you already have Air France and KLM, two mm. of the most established brands. Um, going, but and they will receive Transavia, mm. Transavia France. There's Hop in the regional element. It, it it wasn't clear to me that the answer was another brand. Um, no, no. I suppose the question is now: Is there a need for them to have a low cost? I mean, June. That that's the other thing about June, of course, is his actual business model wasn't very clear. So I, I think, that, to be fair to Air France and Janiac, he d- he did say it wasn't a low cost model as such. So obviously, it was still employing pilots on. Um, on Air France contracts, for example, but um, I suppose the question now is: do, do they? But do they need a low-cost operation? You look at IAG with Level, and and it, that, yeah. And the, when you made the comparison or contrast it with Level, I think it is quite interesting because Level has has predominantly been starting new routes or new operations. Mm. So, I mean, it's in Barcelona, Vueling IAG already had Vueling in Bar- in Barcelona, but obviously that was aimed at short haul. Um, Level was operating long haul. They started flying from Amsterdam, from Vienna. Uh, mm. Paris only, um, it, on new routes, whereas actually the majority of the stuff June was doing was actually taking over existing Air France exactly, routes, yeah. which which now appear as if they're likely to to be heading back that way. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. So that 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 question, though, yeah, as you say, still is still one that perhaps needs answering, but it doesn't seem likely. I think what what came across as well when they're announcing the probable demise of June is. Is that that perception that they were overcomplicating the the branding and and having too many brands? So certainly, I think a any solution along those lines um, of of you know fighting against the low cost incursions on their territory maybe will be done under existing branding or maybe even through further consolidation. You talk about Transavia and Hop and all of those brands. I think there's probably enough to play with with there. So June. Um we wait the final decision, but that, mm. the, uh, the days appear numbered there. Um, one of the other stories or airlines that uh, is really strike taking my eye this year, as it did last year, Norwegian, which mm. of course IAG was showing interest in last year. Yeah, the 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 sense you get in the industry now is that um, interest in Norwegian, maybe from from IAG or any other potential suitors, is is possibly waning. I think. Um, there are existential questions. There always have been around around Norwegian, but they seem to be growing in intensity. I think it's difficult to ignore the fact that there was a slight improvement in some of their results in 2018, but overall it wasn't great. And I think we've said several times that if you're an airline that's not doing well, hasn't done particularly well financially in the past couple of years, then when are you going to do well? <laughs> I suppose is the and Norwegian yeah. is certainly the 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 spike in fuel price last year had mm. a had a big impact on them. It's that whole market, that uh, long haul low cost market, remains you know very embryonic. You've mm. seen obviously we've seen the likes of Premier um, uh, collapse. 
there's still a lot of um, a reshaping of networks, um, and Norwegian's done quite a lot of that mm. over the over the recent um, weeks as well. Mm. Um, the, yeah, the question is, I suppose, yeah, is that, that there's a lot of movement around, particularly their secondary airport flying between Europe and the US. Uh, so they've they've dropped routes around, you know, from airports like Edinburgh. And, and it, in, yeah. in terms of the US points, they're also starting to look at higher yielding um, airports. So mm. uh, switching to Miami and to San, from Oakland to San Francisco. Yeah. So that's going to be a really interesting model to see. I think all eyes will be on those. Uh, their first results come out, I think, at the end of the month. Mm. All eyes will be on that. And in going forward, I think that will shape it. It'll be interesting to see the kind of hand that Bjorn Kjors, the, um, mm. who's, who's been in charge of Norwegian right from the outset and has overseen this. Um. I think, yeah, and it's interesting, I think you, you touched on the whole low-cost long-haul model, I guess, is still um, up in the air. There's a, there's a, there's a pun for you. Um, but the, there, there are very few examples, If I don't know if there are any, really, of, of an airline proving that a pure low-cost long-haul operation can work. I think some are um, where there's positive progress. It can be at Eurowings, for example, but then you, you really got to ask whether that truly is a low-cost operation, for example. Um, obviously, the IAG would level again. Um, it's, it's, it's not a standalone um, operation. So, yeah, Norwegian, I think, hasn't proven yet that that low-cost long-haul actually works in its own right. And... Um, the jury is very much out. Mm. The jury is out on uh, what happens at Istanbul Airport, and we'll take a look at what that means for Turkish Airlines in part two. Before the podcast continues, just a quick reminder that digital subscribers can download a special year-end issue of Airline Business with a free subscription. For more information, just go to flightglobal.com slash airlinebusiness or visit Google Play or the App Store. Turkish Airlines is um, is a really interesting one in 2019. We've got the new Istanbul airport opening um, was already partially opened, I think, to a, a one or two flights, I think it's fair to say. There's already been a delay to its um, full opening. So that's I think it's been pushed to March now and it wouldn't be a surprise um, uh, to see that push further. I think with any airport opening, they're always, um, as, as the good people of Berlin uh, <laughs> can uh, attest, and, and indeed not a million miles away from where we're recording in London here, um, at Heathrow, uh, airport capacity, um, getting that, it's one thing to even get it built, but actually mm. uh, recent transitions have been really challenging. Now, obviously, the new airport at uh, Istanbul, um, which uh, I mean, it's been huge growth at, uh, at both Istanbul airports um, uh, over recent years. I mean, absolutely huge growth. Uh, that had its kind of formal opening, I guess, at the end of October. Yes. Um, it's been the occasional there's been some flights, some mm. small amount going through. And Turkish uh, Airlines, obviously the, the primary uh, or the biggest operator at the, at the new airport, they were initially hoping to make that switch at the end of December. Mm. Um, they now, uh, I think they switched another, they had about 20 routes operating out of there. Um, I think another 11 are moving over um, this week. And this we're talking March, April time for that full transition. But it's, I guess what it means for Turkish is... It's not going to be an immediate change for them. So I guess the question is, once it is up and running, mm. for Turkish Airlines, what what is the fate? You know, does the year look good? Because there's also, you know, there's all kinds of economic issues there still. I think if Turkish Airlines has a good year, it will be followed by the word despite, because there are so many um, outside factors that 
that are going to make it difficult for them. Because at face value, obviously, having a nice, a massive new airport to work from is is is, is great news. Um, if they can get it up and running, as you say, that's not a given in in any market. But but the problems with Turkey, obviously, geopolitical. Um, there's the 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 um the fallings out. I think it's um, fair to describe them as with the U.S. administration under Donald Trump. Um, that that doesn't seem to be any closer to any kind of resolution and that affects trade it affects confidence in in turkey as a place to invest um, and i think obviously the country has, has been bouncing back from a pretty dreadful 2016 where there was the failed coup attempt um, and that came at a point where the economy was already um, wobbling a bit and obviously since then the lira has just been nodes diving against the dollar as well um, having said that on, on the lira side of things i think that's been happening so long that Turkish and, and other businesses there are, are kind of used to that. But but really, I think that while as I say, while while the airport's good for Turkish, I think the real challenge is can they make it work? And amid so many outside factors, making it it, it difficult to grow. I mean, I noticed this morning that um, Bilal Exi uh, actually tweeted that they're planning to add five million passengers this year, so up to eighty million versus. 75 million last year i think if they can achieve that amid everything going on in in turkey that that would be uh, a pretty impressive achievement and um and they're doing this against i, I think the the backdrop for them has changed a little bit as well competitively as well you had mm. you had the gulf carriers um who were in extremely expansive mood um now that's you know qatar is still expanding it has has its own issues yes he had Obviously, less so now. Um, Emirates, but I just think that there is an opportunity at this mm. moment, whilst those major golf carriers are are taking stock. That's it. It's such a advantageous uh, position for for an airport. I mean, it is. It has that potential to be a, a hub along the lines of yeah, as you say, the, the, what the way the the golf carriers operate, and and it certainly. I mean, it, it likes to boast that it flies to more countries i think or destinations than than mm. any other airline so so it, it's certainly got huge potential it's um it's it's uh whether um that potential is going to weigh too heavily on them as they struggle with um with so many outside factors i think but as you say um certainly there are you know like you say the the struggles in in the gulf at the moment particularly with etihad and qatar you know suggest that there's an opportunity there as well if they get it right one one airline that has, um, I guess, maybe struggled to get it right, maybe with its labour relations uh, <laughs> uh, during um, uh, twenty eighteen, is Ryanair, which has had a lengthy battle with its uh, unions across. Partly because, of course, it's dealing with so many unions. But it was yeah, exactly. a, a kind of a landmark step last year when Michael O'Leary decided um, union recognition was uh, was the way ahead and to mm-hmm. embrace. The unions, um, I guess that remains a work in progress. It does very much so. And I think um, it's fair to say they're essentially going through, you know, what might be 20 years worth of, of union negotiations <laughs> and, and recognition in, in sort of 18 months, two years. So it was always going to be a challenge, but certainly it is a work in progress. Um, it feels like barely a day goes by where we don't get a press release from a union saying that they've either come to a recognition agreement or which then maybe Ryanair might might not agree with but but eventually I think they are getting there but it's certainly not over and and already we're seeing like Balpa for example the UK pilots union 
um, calling for O'Leary to step down last year before the AGM. So I think he's already getting a taste of, of maybe what's to come in the future. <laughs> I, that. I think I think in publicity terms, because you know Ryanair is this totally different model from uh, you know a previous airline would have you know um, Network Carol have home base and you'll they'll be dealing with mm. two three air, uh, unions. If, if you're Alitalia dealing with about twenty, you know, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, it, 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 there's a finite number of people you're dealing with. Ryanair, because it is pan-European, and it, I think exactly the point you say, because it's been, you know, people, the unions have been looking for this day for 20 years or so. Um, <laughs> I think there is this flood of publicity and headlines, and, mm. you know, they're, they're, Ryanair are having to deal with it every day. Now, Ryanair point out, uh, you know, quite often, you know, that strike in Belgium mm. it will have a very limited effect on their... Um, on their overall operations, but it must be draining. I think it, it, it must be yes, and it is certainly. I think a, a few of us um, talking within the team here have have wondered whether O'Leary is, is the right person for that. But so far, he seems to be. I don't know if he's enjoying it, but he certainly uh, there aren't any signs he's <laughs> he's cracking or <laughs> he's. A, that, yeah, I. Uh, I mean, Michael O'Leary is always. Um, I got given this temptation, you know, of oh in a few years' time they'll need someone more corporate or they'll yeah. once I've once I've done this, once we once we're flying into mainline airports, once we're mm. but he, he he continues to show the hunger for it. Um He does, yeah. And he specifically said to um I think one of our colleagues um just last year or fairly recently that um if he had to start dealing with unions and, and bleep like that and he would uh, that would be the time to step down but certainly no he seems to be as you say he seems to be sticking with it for now and um, one of the other interesting developments I think from last year with Ryanair was louder motion mm. um, obviously they moved into um, and gave them that, that that place in German Austrian markets but mostly serving um, mm. uh, the Spanish um, uh, resort islands and it's it's an interesting model for Ryanair taking on a uh, a division, a subsidiary. That is a sort of new development to what they've done before, and they do seem to be keeping it, you know, in in the way the report, their traffic figures and so forth, as a separate unit. Yeah, that that came as a surprise, really, and yeah, exactly that because for um, obviously and something that stands out, for example, is the fact that the loud emotions flying Airbus aircraft when when obviously Ryanair is very much Boeing. So so yeah, it is an interesting one and. Um, and I wouldn't say it's 100% clear. Obviously, the, it's a market where it's incredibly competitive out of Austria. Um, it's one where we're seeing um, massive capacity growth, particularly at Vienna, and a lot of competition there. So you can see what why they want to be there and why having some kind of ready-made operation is is good. But as you say, it's um, it's, it's a departure, in it? and it is one that's probably going to weigh on their financial results for slightly longer than they expected as well. So uh, it remains to be seen, really, whether they... It will become closer to the um, Ryanair in terms of branding or anything like that. There's certainly no no signs of that so far. But, so. And one thing we won't be seeing from Ryanair this year is any more uh, arrivals of seven three seven eight hundreds. Their massive <laughs> order, there, which which kind of built their expansion over mm. the last year. The last of those from that mega order got delivered at the tail end of last year, mm. um, and we're on to the maxes now. No sign of them um, slowing up. No, and um, I do remember Neil Sorahan, I think their finance director, saying a couple of years ago that the, the max is a game changer for them in terms of the the fuel efficiency and obviously fuel prices have, have gone have gone down over the last month or so. But um, 
Uh, I think a few competitors will be slightly scared to hear Ryanair saying they're they're going to get a boost in terms of their efficiency because, um, as you say, with all with all the um, negatives you can see with Ryanair, they're undeniably incredibly profitable still and and a force to be reckoned with. I think in Europe and you talking about Air France as well earlier. We obviously they France is a market where we might see them making some more inroads soon, which again um, is uh, you wouldn't bet against them. Uh, Making a success of Making it. Making a success of that. That's, that's, I'm that's sure right. there's a French pun in there. I was searching for a French pun, but <laughs> yeah. uh, I can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we look at um, some of the other airlines uh, where fuel has been a major factor in 2018 and remains a major factor uh, in part three. Before we continue with the podcast, just a quick reminder that airline business subscribers can get a special year-end issue of Airline Business sponsored by CFM International. All you need to do is go to flightglobal.com forward slash airline business or visit Google Play or the Apple App Store and existing subscribers will be able to get hold of it. So one of the big stories of 2018 and very much remains on the uh, in the headlines is uh, India and is Jet Airways in particular. Yeah, Jet Jets. Um, it's fair to say, had a difficult end to the year. We um, had their their um, quarterly results delayed because they were, well, so bad, I guess, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Um, but the Indian market is fascinating, obviously, because it's um, it's it's one that, as, as in so many, uh, carries so much potential, but also at the same time comes with so many challenges. So, um, it, it's I think it's. Um, the rapid growth in capacity there is obviously what's weighing on a lot it's, of airlines, isn't it? it, it yeah. I mean, it remains. I think it was the fastest growing domestic market um, mm. in uh, 2018. And as you say, it is about the potential because it feels almost like airlines are self-harming. You know, they mm. they know uh, each of them because it's not just Jet that has struggled. They're the most high profile. But Indigo posted its first loss for years. Um, mm. uh, SpiceJet slipped back into loss. And, you know, you have loads of competition out there. Um, they're all adding uh, capacity. And when, uh, when, when fuel prices suddenly kicked in, and in India you had the currency issue as well, so, it was, uh, so you had all of that kicking in, and they mm. just weren't able to um, get the yields up because the competition was so, um, so yeah. tight. But very few airlines, I mean, Indigo are continuing to uh, keep the capacity in because the price is so big. That's right, and then I think in Jet's case, they were fairly conservative on capacity in comparison. But uh, you know, maybe even more worryingly, that that didn't help. But I think, as you say, the the it's a bit like kids in a toy shop, really. Some of these route launches you see during the year, you're looking at, um, uh, you know, an airline launching a, a route where there are already six or seven other carriers serving it, and um, you have to wonder really what what kind of uh, <laughs> logical strategy is behind that, and how sustainable that is, and it's showing that. It's it's not really, and I think in Jet's case, they seem to be doing worse than than anyone else. Um, there have been talk recently that obviously, um, <laughs> unfortunately for Etihad, obviously they're uh, they they at the moment anyway have a twenty four percent holding in Jet. There's talk at the moment they may be upping that as part of a rescue package for Jet, which well, which would be interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah, and and Jet, which has been owned by uh, uh, Naresh Goyal for um, mm. uh, for years. Uh, uh, and he sort of guided them as you know India and and you know in comparison to Air India relatively successfully, but it, you know that market has got tough for them. And mm. there's uh, lots of talk that as part of um, any deal to um, to find that new investment, the, the Naresh might um, allow his uh, shareholding to to slip slip down um, 
and mm. you're certainly probably not uh, being uh, a majority shareholder going forward. That's right, and um, yeah, that that'll be a fascinating one to watch because obviously it is a market like we were saying where you'd probably want to be if you could be, but, um, but and, yeah, and and there is the plus side for for Jet and other other Indian carriers and carriers everywhere is that the fuel price has come down. I mean, mm. it, that was the big story of of 2018 was it creeping up and then you know you saw a series of airline profit warnings all sorts of uh, more a more cautious approach on capacity mm. and then within a, about four weeks to the end of the year it was back down to where it started that's it yeah and that that is going to be a big help i think you know i i was looking at some figures from our the flight global schedules data on which airports had seen the biggest rising capacity seat capacity last year and three of the top 10 were indian airports just to give a sense of um of how sig- significant the the extra capacity is there, so I think whatever happens there, then I think everyone probably needs to calm down a bit on that front, and I'm sure we'll see that happening. But um, but yeah, it's a market to watch definitely. And we mentioned them there, Etihad. Um, <laughs> I mean, where to begin on? Uh, right. Last year was clearly a, a year of uh, consolidation and reflection and. Mm. Um, uh, very much uh, uh, an inward focus compared to uh, what yeah. we've seen previously. Exactly. And by the way, we're very desperate to talk to Tony Douglas. So if you do know him and put him <laughs> in touch with us, then then please do. Because, yeah, as you say, it's... Um, it, I think I used the phrase known unknowns when I, I was writing um, writing about them. Because, yeah, we know what the issues are there. Um, but um, as things stand, it, it doesn't appear that um, there have been fundamental changes. But I think one of the... the the key things we're saying talking about capacity in India rocketing um, you look at capacity out of Abu Dhabi in the last 12 months it's actually fallen I think by more than 10% so but, you know Tony Douglas is is, is making a difference there um, but um, the the key thing you know we were touching on Jet is, is around um, Etihad's strategy around its equity investments and really I think the question is what is it going to do to, to achieve profitability and keep growing um, fairly <laughs> fundamental questions but, but I I wouldn't say that that's 100% clear at the moment. And there was a, you know, the, the logic behind investing in, mm. um, you know, whatever the other merits or, or non-merits of it might be, the likes of Alitalia and Air Berlin, um, it was around building uh, momentum. You know, they, they were James Hogan, who was in charge at the time, and he had a mandate to try and grow the carrier as rapidly as possible. Mm. Um and you know, he had to do that with partners. You can get to the kind of scale of Emirates. Um, it's it's uh, neighbour. That's the thing, yeah. If you've uh, got Emirates an hour drive down the road, then you, you, you're going to have to do something more than just sit there and uh, and hope for organic growth, aren't you? I think it's fair to say. <laughs> but it's interesting with with Jet Airways. I think you, the one thing you would say is that India uh, UAE um, route from a network perspective, from a market perspective. You could see, a, a, you know, a clear and logical tie-up to that. I think mm. um, strong traffic, traffic demands there, and and that will that will just increase. You would imagine. Y- yeah, you would hope so. And there are other un- unanswered questions around Etihad as well. Obviously, they had a tie-up with Lufthansa um, not not long ago, which was wasn't um, network focused at the time, but it carries potential, I guess. And when you think about the fact, obviously, Air Berlin is is no more than, and it's obviously a market that they were previously saw. As um, carrying big potential for them, so there's there's room there maybe for, for and more they, to happen. And they still retain a stake in Virgin Australia. Of course, now, yeah. 
again, that'll be interesting to see what happens there. Virgin Australia has uh, sort of made some progress from it too, found itself in a slightly tricky position. Mm. Uh, it's made some progress. Virgin Australia has always had this very um, unusual shareholding in, in, in having so many um, airlines involved. It. Etihad, um, Singapore mm. Airlines and H&A, which of course um, <laughs> face their own challenges <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, in the year ahead. Um, so I think for for Etihad, it's it's uh, it's a big challenging year. Mm. I think one other um, airline I'd pick out is is Aeromexico. That that was one. Yeah, we talk about we know very well. I think in the UK about referendums and how much prob- trouble they can cause. I mean, we're sitting here today on the day that um, Theresa May's deal was due to be voted on. So by the time you're listening, we might be li- living in a post-Brexit <laughs> wasteland. But yeah, it's um. Um, not that I want to um, make my views on this uh, public, but but we uh, we look at yeah uh, obviously in in Mexico um, Mexico City you're about thirty percent of the way building through building a, a new airport and um, I think the incoming government um, had promised a referendum on whether that should be built and they ran that referendum and the answer was no so there's uh, <laughs> so there's, there's lots of lovely pictures we've got of. Um, uh, an airport sort of 30% yeah, way and it is extraordinary. I can't yeah. think of <laughs> other than an airport that is 100% full um, ready and not used of course mm. in uh, our friends in Berlin again um, I can't think of another airport which has got so far through uh, development for it to stop mm. um, sort of through uh, whether it's political will or non-political will mm. um, it seems it's a very unusual set of circumstances it is, yes. And um, when we spoke to um, Andres Canessa uh, a couple of years ago for a, an airline business cover interview, um, he was very clear that the new airport was critical because, you know, as with a lot of um, the, the big hub carriers, they're, they're operating out of airports that are at capacity, very little room for for growth, for, for, for innovation in what they do. So um, I guess when you look at all the CEOs we, we've talked about, Canessa's probably in you know one of the toughest positions really because to go overnight from thinking oh great we're getting a new airport soon you know the the opportunities that brings in a market again mexico is a market where um there's huge potential you know a relatively small proportion of the population to use um air travel at the moment so there's huge potential there but to go overnight and then yeah to be told you're not getting that shiny new airport it's um it's certainly going to prompt a rethink <laughs> and um, maybe another lesson about not having referendums. I don't know. <laughs> Just my view. <laughs> well, we'll leave it leave it there. Thank you, Lewis, for your time uh, Thank you. this morning, this afternoon. I'm not sure if time of day makes any <laughs> difference. Um, if you want to know any more about uh, the airlines that we've spoken about and some of the challenges there, you can uh, uh, find that um, at flightglobal.com. There's a specific article there that you might embed the link in uh, in this um, and of course to keep up to date with all our news find out how to subscribe and download our digital edition of uh, airline business and stay abreast of all the news and uh, debate visit us at flightglobal.com uh, but until next time goodbye 
If you're not already a subscriber to Airline Business, just a reminder, it's a good time to sign up because you can get a free digital-only issue sponsored by CFM International. Uh, we call it our year-end edition and it, um, it's got lots of interesting content, including all the rankings from the year, our predictions for 2019 and a look back at 2018. That's our um, CFM International sponsored year-end issue. Uh, for more information, go to flightglobal.com forward slash airline business.